This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hello? Honey? I'm at the mall now, and I found this beautiful leather coat. It's only a thousand. Can I get it? Well, sure, if you like it that much. Okay. Um, I also stopped by the Mercedes dealership and saw the new model. You know, the one I really like. How liked. much? 120. Well, at that price, I want it with all the options. Great. Oh, and and one more thing: the house we wanted last year is back on the market. They're they're asking 1.5. We'll make them an offer. But come in at uh, 1.4. Okay. I love you, baby. I love you, too. Okay, bye. Um, does anybody know whose phone this is? Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's The Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and today we're bragging about all of you stackers again, sharing success stories. Leia will talk about getting rolling with her money. Larry will share his mortgage payoff story. And Mimi will tell us how she inspired neighbor kids to start investing. Plus, Monday is tax day and we've got you covered. CPA Carter Cofield from Cofield's Concepts joins us with just-in-time tips. Of course, we'll also have all the current headlines, and I'll amaze you with some incredible trivia. And now, two guys who are the sugar and spice in this podcast. You can probably figure out who's who. It's Joe and O-J-J-J-J-J-G. Strange that I think everybody knows which is which. I don't have really anything to add to that, uh, except I'm also the end everything nice. So you've got two, I've got one. Obviously. Yes. Do you want to fight about it? There it is. That's all we need to know, folks. Welcome back to the Stacky Benjamin Show. You know that we we have not changed here. Uh, it's great to be here on a, on a Thursday. What are we doing here on a Thursday? We're here Time on and a half. Thursday. Time and a half week. It is incredible. We got a great show today. We are talking about... All the cool stuff you guys have done. We've got three stackers lined up that we're going to chat with, either in the basement or on Dad's shortwave radio, about some cool stuff that they've done, OG. But before we get there, we've got some headlines. So why don't we just roll into it, huh? show and tell day. I like it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our stacking Benjamin's headlines. Our first headline comes to us from Investment News, and this was surprising because you know how, you know, we spend a lot of time talking about online brokerages and just take it for granted that now, what, doesn't the whole universe use online brokerages? 
Not the case at all. This is written by Sean Aloka. Why the public is still leery of online brokerages. What? Caught me by surprise. In fact, a lot of people are leery about online brokerages. Listen to this. Sean writes, the more than 10 million new brokerage accounts opened last year flooded retail investors into equity markets, but it also exposed cracks in online platforms in the process. After the GameStop trading melee in January and February, lawsuits had popped up alleging wide-ranging conspiracies and gamification strategies at some of the most well-known brokerages, creating new rifts between online platforms and their clients. Weird. So when you take advantage of your clients, people get ticked off? Hmm. Odd. After years of struggling to rebuild the reputational harm caused by the likes of Bernie Madoff and others, bad actors have left the financial advice industry dealing with a sometimes unsavory public perception. What does this have to do with, with online brokerages? Oh, I see. Only uh, 35% of investors say their advisors act in their self-interest, according to a CFA Institute survey. And so it's their best interest. Yes. Okay. You said self-interest. (laughs) which is a whole different meaning (laughs) only only 35 percent act in their self-interest that's that reminds me that i gotta find that old uh, td ameritrade commercial the one where the young advisor sitting across from the older client and the young advisor says hey i'm thinking villain tuscany he's like oh yeah i'm thinking maybe a a 45 foot yacht yeah, great. I'm thinking retire at 46 and the client leans forward and goes, but I'm 57. <laughs> the client just says, oh, we're, we're talking about you. So it says because of that, because people don't trust advisors, they're running to online brokerage apps, but digital platforms have found novel ways of monetizing clients. But wait, I thought that once the commissions were were eliminated, then everything would be awesome. What? Are you saying that these organizations are still trying to figure out a way to make money? It, it is true. So, so I don't trust my advisor, so I'm going to go to the good guys, which is the online trading apps. Yeah. Who, by definition, can't be working in your best interest. Because they are literally the broker. That means their They're- job is to facilitate transactions. They don't give a crap about who wins or loses. It's just, you know, their jobs to be disinterested. Sure. They're, they're disinterested in outcome. They're interested in matching buyers and sellers. That's it. That is the sum, sum total of their job. And this guy wants to buy. Cool. We need somebody to sell. And that one. And figuring out how to make money doing it. Yeah. Well. It is, it is crazy to me that there's even a connection here because you think that if, so if I have a bad advisor and certainly we can agree that there's plenty of bad advisors to go around. If I have bad advice in my yeah. corner. I don't like the word plenty. I think the vast majority of people in our business actually are trying hard. I agree with that too. I also agree that to get a good advisor that matches with you is something that I think 99% of us are looking for. And it's funny because I know there's people listening going, I'm not looking for that. I don't want that. I don't need that. And I will push back and go, so there's no smart people in your corner that you talk to about making better decisions. And by the way, by people, I mean, even books that you read or podcasts that you listen to or whatever, because I consider those to be part of your advisory council, right? You're trying to surround yourself yeah. with the best stuff that you've got. 
And if that's the case, then I consider that to be advice and we're all looking for better advisors. So if you hire a bad advisor running to a digital online platform and saying advisors suck, I think you're, wait for it, your interviewing skills suck. Ooh, the tables have turned. Well, I do think so. Like if we really back up, you're like, huh, so... I need good people in my corner and I hired a bad one. So the thing is, is that everybody's bad. They're all bad. You know, what's interesting is I read a book and then, then there was a a tape series that came with it. Tape. Yes. Cassette tape, cassette tape, bonus points. If you've ever seen one. And before you get into your story, at any point, did you have to unmangle it from the uh, tape player and take a pencil out and retighten it? Have I ever done? Absolutely done that. But not with these particular tapes. Not that I can recall. Oh, these are good tapes. Yeah, they were. They were high quality. And uh, I cannot for the life of me remember the book, but I know the cover and I can see the tape sets. It's like a muted brown. Anyways, the gist of it was that along the way, when you're dealing with relationships and trying to select an advisor is one of these times... And if you're an advisor on that side, there's you also have this experience as well. You have the opportunity to see or to feel that kind of intuition. Like, hey, this is a great fit. I, I, boy, I know this is a good fit. And then you go, that ends up being a good fit. But then there's also times where you go, Something is, something's a little askew here. I don't know what it is. I can't put my finger on it. And it may not be a nefarious thing, you know, like it just, it just it may not be like the, the guy who the Bernie Madoff type deal, but just a, not a good fit. And what the uh, author talked about were the, it was a concept of like red lights and yellow lights. And most of the time when you're driving down the road and you see a yellow light, what is your initial instinct? Slow down. <laughs> I've driven with you. That is not true. Oh, gun it. <laughs> gun it. <laughs> everyone has that response, right? Like if you're like yellow, you're like, I can make it go, <laughs> you know, like I'm a block and a half away. I can make it right. We're going to we get, know- we're going to get emails from our law enforcement friends in the audience. Hey, uh, Joe, don't, uh, don't got it. Yeah. But you know what I'm talking about, right? You yes. get that, like that sensation of like, it's yellow light. I can make it, but yeah, it was pink officer. When I went through it, it was like, it's like a light shade of red. <laughs> it was just the red hue was just coming up. Anyways, what happens with every yellow light? Every yellow light turns red. Yellow lights never turn back green. So the, what the guy was talking about in the book was when you have a yellow light, you have to slow down for it. You know, it doesn't necessarily mean that, there's, that it's going to be bad, but blowing through yellow light after yellow light eventually turns red and there's an accident. And I think there's too many times where consumers do this with, whether it's financial planners or any other people, right? Just any, anybody that you work with advisors do it with their clients. It's just like you go, something is off and I want to be conflict avoidant. So I'm going to skip talking about that thing. Instead, like you said about from an interview standpoint, like just be open with it, right? Just go, Hey, there's this thing, (laughs) you know, like, I don't, I don't know what's up. I can't put my, I can't put my finger on it, you know, and you deserve to have a good fit, which is, I think your point is, there's lots of people out there and you can have the person that's, that fits for you. There was a, a lot of knowledge out there a few years ago about the power of saying no, right? Beware what you 
what you say yes to. And and I could quote one person saying this, but I felt like there were 25 million people saying this as it went through the, the zeitgeist, the power of waiting until you get that perfect fit before you, you do anything and, and beware what you say yes to. Cause we say, I think we say yes to too many of those yellow things to your point. In fact, I was laughing while you were talking about this. So, so when you talk about racing through the light, I got this buddy, Troy, who is very good at board games and a board game night. He's one of the few guys at board game night that actually plays to win. Like, don't get me wrong. We all kind of play to win, but he's there to win the game. And he will tell you the doesn't like racing games because whenever we play a racing game, there's always these roll the dice moments, right? If you're in a race by definition, there's going to be a few times where I don't know if I'm going to make this corner or not. And so you have to look at probabilities and even if the probability is against him, he will push it because he knows that that will get him into first place. And dude, he wrecks, you know, if there's a 30% chance of, of making that corner, he will wreck 70% of the time. And in every one of those cases, it isn't him. It's a stupid game. In every one of those cases, and he'll tell you, he's like, I, the rate, I, I wish they'd come up with a good racing game. I'm like, you're good at probability everywhere else. Why wouldn't you do, why wouldn't you do this? So, uh, yeah, it, it, I mean, it seems so congruent with, I got some bad advice. So therefore all, all advice is bad, but by the same token, when it comes to brokerage services, I mean, using you, using that, we don't say Robinhood sucks. So I'm not going to have another brokerage firm. <laughs> yeah. Right. I'm I'm just going to move. I'm going to make a better decision. I'm going to learn my lesson. I'm going to find out more about how this stuff works and dive in. The good news is when it comes to brokerage firms, OG, they're talking about how they're, they're making, uh, most of the firms are, are making big moves. The face of retail brokerage over the last year with so many people getting in, so many people being disillusioned with them means that we're seeing lots and lots of innovation. And I'll link to the uh, show notes page. So you can kind of dive into those. I mean, they, they go right to the fact that Robin Hood got rid of the confetti. And instead of a second headline today, since we have an extra day, we thought it'd be fun OG to do something that we uh, normally aren't able to do. And that is to dive into some quotes that we found motivational. We actually found these initially at Yahoo money in a piece written by Clara Colbert Clara just took some of the best quotes that Mr. Quotable himself, Warren Buffett had. And I want to get your feeling about, about all these quotes and if they resonate with you or not, and then we'll see which ones are your favorites. Number one, American magic has always prevailed and it will do so again. What do I think about that? Motivational. Is it motivational? Sure. Optimistic. Overly optimistic, or is the world going to catch up? Uh, I, boy, if you look at the expanse of ingenuity over the last two hundred years, it uh, it really seems that a, like a lot of that stuff came out of the U.S. Right, and a lot of it has to do with the fact that we have such an open economy and open, you know, source of ideas and education platform, and you know, all those sorts of things. I don't think that it's, I I don't think that you can say that it's true forever. You know, I think it's going to continue to evolve. You know, I mean, now we're evolving in places that didn't even exist 20 years ago. 
innovating in places yeah. that didn't exist 20 years ago. So I think it will evolve while um, other places in the world continue to take over and become dominant in places where the U.S. used to be dominant. How about this one? The importance of learning the language. Warren Buffett says, you've got to understand accounting. You've got to. That's got to be like a language to you. Uh, yeah. I mean, if you're in business, right? I don't know about investing maybe to a lesser degree, but you have to be able to read the books that you're looking at. I think if you're going to trade, if you're going to be a trader, if you're going to have an individual stock portfolio, knowing accounting is it has, has got to be a basic knowledge. And I'll tell you this, I've read lots of annual reports and I wish I understood accounting better. Like, I feel like I understand kind of where they may play the games and where, which lines are important to read, but I don't know as much as I feel like I should. But then again, I don't have an overly large individual stock portfolio yet. Although all my positions are about to hit it probably day after tomorrow. There's still a chance. I love how, and, and we're going to be talking a lot about uh, our stacker friends and some of the things you guys have done. Ray, uh, in, in our basement Facebook group, stackingbenjamins.com forward slash basement. We'll get to you there if you want to hang out with us. Ray, we were talking about Dogecoin and uh, Ray said he's been investing for a long time and Dogecoin is the best performing investment he's ever had. Yep. <laughs> and talking about kind of how sad that is, right? How about this one? about holding period, about how long to hold your investments. Our favorite holding period is forever. We're just forever. the opposite of yeah. those who hurry to sell and book profits when companies perform well, but who tenaciously hang on to businesses that disappoint. Peter Lynch aptly likens such behavior to cutting the flowers and watering the weeds. Interesting. I didn't hear that Peter Lynch quote, but um, yeah, you know, Warren Buffett's got another good one that you should be allowed to buy 20 stocks in your entire life. Those are the ones. You know, I think you can replace that with mutual funds or ETFs. You know, it doesn't have to be stocks. But um, when you chase whatever fad is next, and there's there's a very real FOMO, you know, that happens, especially with the information that's available on Twitter and Reddit and those places, and how true any of that stuff is is unknown, but. You know, you can do the math on it and say, you know, my son was looking at an investment the other day in his brokerage account. And he's like, I think he, he he's trying to figure it out. He said, well, dad, this was 65 cents and then it was $9. Like how much money would I have made if I put $100 in? And I told, you know, helped him understand how to figure that out. He's like, so I made $1,500 in like three days. I'm like, yeah, but you had to know it at like at 65 cents were you the... <laughs> You're like, this is an amazing company. You know, they're going to be awesome. You know, of course not. You know, you're throwing darts at a dartboard. It's, you're, it's you're, frustrating. And people look, this is what's going on with Dogecoin. Yeah. I mean, ever everybody's looking at the money that was, quote, made. That money's gone. It's already been made. Yeah. You know, the news media doesn't help. I know this stuff really doesn't make, you know, news, but it's, you know, it's on Flipboard. It's wherever, you know, the number of... Dogecoin millionaires has doubled in the last week. And because somebody's tracking that somehow, you know what I mean? It's like, like, dang, how come that's not me? And so if you're moving from thesis to thesis, if you're trying to change ideas along the way, you're going to lose your rear end. It's just not possible to make money going from idea to idea, whether that's stock idea or, you know, ever. I, I was really big into the stock market, but that sucked. So I got into real estate. 
<laughs> that's no different. It's the same thing. It's just a different tool that you're using. So you can be successful owning stocks. You can be successful owning real estate, but you got to own it. That's the key metric. This is why great investors use an investment policy statement, why people who manage big amounts of money work from a policy that they work from so that they're consistently tweaking the machine instead of ripping the flag out and planting it somewhere else. I was a value investor. Nope. Growth is hot. I'm going to growth. Oh, look it. I got to, I got to do a uh, growth at a reasonable price now. No, wait a minute. I'm going to go after momentum strategies. That's, that's my strategy now. I think this one, this next quote is not just about investments. I think it's also about life. It's far better to buy a wonderful company at a fair price than a fair company at a wonderful price. This ties into what we were talking about earlier about advice, right? It's far better to find a few good advisors than to find a whole bunch of mediocre people, which is amazing when people tell me, I don't need good people in my corner because I got friends in an internet forum. Well, there you go. Right. So, Sorry, we have an internet forum. But I still think this should not be your, this should be a great place to get surround sound and to hang out and to reinforce each other. But when people tell me that I have foregone a board of directors and decided that the wisdom of a few brilliant people does not hold a candle in my life next to a crowd of people who are chatting on the internet. And then the bad news happens when that gets actually reinforced by something positive early where you go, yeah, I don't know what this crypto thing is, but I'm going to put, you know, hundred bucks in it and it grows to 6,000 and you're like, Oh snap. Look what I found. You know? Agreed. Yeah. I don't know what to say about the rest of that, but, but a wonderful company at a fair price. I would rather, you know, getting back to just advice and people in my corner, I would rather pay somebody a fair amount of money. Who's going to give me kick-ass advice. They can get a bunch of bad advice for free. I think that's what that, that says sure. to me. Yeah. I also think about it like in any purchase decision, right? Yes. I would, I would rather pay for quality, you know, over quantity. Agreed. We're, we're trying to buy some furniture for outside, you know, with like couch and stuff for our patio and kind of in that, like, you know, do you spend $87 on this or do you spend $500 on it? You know, there's like a huge difference but am I going to spend the $87 five times? <laughs> you know, is, the, right. is it going to collapse in the first rainstorm? I don't know. Which brings up the next thing. Price and value aren't always the same. Buffett says, of course, he says, price is what you pay. Value is what you get. So if I can get, if I can take the $500 thing and I can actually get it for 300 bucks, that's the, that's the winner right there. Yeah. Or if you're thinking about, um, we, we just had this, uh, scenario happened to us we've been trying to hire a pest control person because we have a big giant hole in our mulch my wife's like it's an armadillo I'm like yeah, i don't know she's like it totally is like she's she's like she knows it took i feel like five or six weeks for somebody to come out and like the the dude just showed up yesterday like hey how's it going like uh good who are you uh yeah i'm bill Hey, Bill, what can I help you with? Oh, you called um, about what, Bill? A pest control. Yeah, yeah, you called about it. Oh, like in March. Yeah, 
Um, uh, let's see. I think, I think the animal's dead now. I'm not sure, but the hole's gone. Oh, there's a hole. Yeah, I don't see a hole anymore. No, no, we we don't either. We we put some mulch down it. <laughs> okay, well, just call us if it comes back. Like that, you know. Like uh, what a what a crappy experience. Guess what we're not doing? Calling Bill ever, ever. for anything. Ever, you know. Ever. It's like sixteen years later. You no. called me what? But that's the difference between price and value in my book. I would have rather paid double and have the person show up the next day. And, do it, and doing your due diligence at a time. I like this one. As in the case with marriage, business acquisitions often deliver surprise after the I do's. Oh, guess what? I have some credit card debt. Well, that's true about anything. Yes. Oh, now that we're married, it's half your stuff. But do your due diligence. How many times How many times have you and people find out that they got in trouble after they did their due diligence? It's usually, I didn't look at this thing. I forgot to look at this stuff. And then I'm surprised by it. There are uh, lots and lots and lots of these. Uh, so if you want to get motivated, 25 of them, I'll link to them on our show notes page at stackybenjamins.com. In just a second, OG and I are going to have our takeaways from our discussion of all things Buffett, online advisors, the value of good advice and more. But first, this episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers, they're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. All right, man, it's the moment of truth. From our headlines, what's our takeaway? I think for me, the biggest thing is around just process and systems. You know, we didn't really kind of put all that together, but all of this boils down to if you've got good systems in place and you've got, you know, good people and all that sort of stuff, like you're going to have a better chance at better results. You're going to have a better chance at a better experience if you don't just go into it willy nilly. I think that's great because having better people in your corner increases the probability that you're going to win, right? You're the product of the people that you're around. I think also that uh, when we talk about online brokerages, if you have a process of knowing what's important and what's not, uh, and doing your due diligence, and you're always working on better due diligence. Increasingly, as you bring things into your life, say no to things that are just cheap and better when you get uh, something that's quality. I think you'll be able to even find a discount on that quality more likely because you're very familiar with how that how that stuff works. So I'm going to piggyback on yours, man. Good stuff. Let you do the heavy lifting today for once. For once, yep. I love today's show because we are talking about you on this one. But before we get there, OG, we've got uh, something very important happening on Monday. You know what day Monday is? The 17th, my friend. Snuck up on all of us. 
Of course, not us here in Texas. We get another month because of the unusual snowfall. However, when it comes to the majority of the country, your tax day is Monday. So let's take care of the stackers first by talking to a gentleman who's the perfect guy to talk to in this circumstance. He works with celebrities. He works with athletes. He works with CEOs on their taxes. So we thought it'd be perfect since you are all CEOs of your life to get some last minute tax tips. Are there ways to rearrange things so they look better? What happens if I don't have all my paperwork or what happens if I can't afford whatever I have to pay? And how do I make sure that next year things look as good or better than they did this year? So let's say hi to a guy I just love to talk to, Carter Cofield. And here he is walking down the stairs to mom's basement to save all of us a bunch of money on taxes and right on time because they're doing two days. My friend Carter Cofield's here. How are you, man? I'm doing great. Doing great. Happy to be here, man. Let's, uh, looking forward to helping people save some money. Well, I'm hoping that you save us all a lot of money. Even <laughs> and, 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 and by the way, why? So, so two quick questions. Number one, even though it's a month later than it was last year, does it feel like it snuck up on all of us again? Yeah, the month went the quickest I've ever seen it. it it's like almost it was a month forward for, for some people, right? It's crazy that, that those 30 days went by faster than you can imagine. I, it is crazy. And being in Texas, as you know, I've got an extra month and I still am like, oh man, I got to get this stuff together. But <laughs> but there's an elephant in the room uh, that we need to address, Carter. And that is you went to the University of Illinois, go fighting Illini, what the what the hell happened to you guys in the tournament? What happened? Uh, so look, all right, we we were excited, we we're happy to be there, right? We probably celebrated a little bit too early. We got beat by a very good team that has a very very positive spirit um, floating around their basketball facility, right? So um, it was hard to watch, but uh, I was just happy that we made it there. As a Big Ten guy, as a Sparty, I was pulling for you guys. And, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, there went my bracket, man. And I blame you. I blame you. <laughs> I'll take the blame. I'll take the blame. <laughs> All right, let's get to it. Uh, help us. We got two days to go. Is there anything last minute here that we can do to uh, make our taxes look better? So, yeah. So the thing I always tell people who are against the gun last minute is to simply file an extension, right? The IRS has a server they have on their site called free file. Anybody can go and file an extension and give you a couple more months because you don't want to rush your taxes and then have to amend them later because you did them wrong. So I always encourage people to file an extension if their back is that much against the wall. And that gives them another couple months to get their proper uh, documents together and file their taxes properly. But what if I owe money? I think even with an extension, I still got to pay right in the next couple of days. Yeah, yeah. So here's the thing that most people I don't think understand, Joe, is that the failure to file penalty is so much worse than the failure to pay penalty. Okay, and so many people just don't file because they they their fear uh, they're fearful or they probably kind of put their head in the ground and don't and don't want to see it. So the failure to file penalty is five percent of what you owe. The failure to pay penalty is 05 percent of what you owe. Oh wow! So. It's a huge difference. So you can file an extension and still make a payment, debating on like you know what you think you might owe. And then if you pay too much, you can get a refund. Or if you even don't want to pay, the penalty is only 0.5% versus the failure to file penalty, which is so much worse. So I highly encourage people, if, you don't, if you're not ready, just file an extension, 
make a payment if you can, but please do not not file. I love that advice. And I've talked about this before. I was that guy, Carter, back in the 90s, early in my career. I found out at the last minute that I owed a ton of money, decided not to file. And, and, and of the two mistakes, not paying and not filing, when I finally got hooked up with the right tax person to help me through the mess that I created for myself, she, Sue, let me know immediately. She's like, we want to file right now. We'll figure out paying. Mm-hmm. And the IRS, by the way, has, has helpful ways, payment plans that you can get on mm-hmm. and, and things like that. But before we get to that, let's talk about, can, can I throw some money in a retirement account uh, still, or is that day passed? Uh, are there other things I can do that will maybe make it prettier? So if I, owe, maybe, maybe I don't know as much as I thought I did. Yeah, so when they pushed the extension back to May fifteenth, uh, probably seventeenth, one of those days, um, when they pushed the extension back, they also pushed the extension back for IRAs. So you can still make those contributions um, to IRAs to potentially lower your tax liability. And if you are a business owner, you have a SEP IRA. You can put in so much more than the traditional six thousand um, dollars that you could put in the IRA. So there's still some little tax strategies, savings strategies you can do before you pay your taxes. But um, again, you should be doing this way before the filing deadline, you know? Yeah. Let's talk about that. Tax planning, probably a couple days before they're due, pro- probably shouldn't be doing my tax planning now. When, when do you see your, your best clients, your all-star clients, when do they do their tax planning? So I set a meeting with all my all-star clients in the last quarter of the year, right? So that October, November, December, that time frame, because that gives us so much time to one, build a tax plan, right? And then implement it before the deadline. Because as you know, Joe, after 1231, it's only so much you can do. Um, once that year closes, there's only so much you can do to change your tax liability. So we want to do everything before the end of the year. So I tell my clients, you know, if we do the proper tax planning, which is in Q4, then when it comes tax paying season in Q1, they won't have much to worry about. Are there a couple pillars? And, and we definitely have to have you back on when we get to that yeah. period of time and kind of help people in October, November, December, like you said. But there's, there's some things for next year that we can be thinking about now to get ready for that tax prep season, Carter? Yeah. So if I broke it down for employees and, and self-employed, because it's like there's, they're two different beasts, right? Yeah, cool. So as an, empo- yeah, as an employee, you should review your W-4, right? Because your W-4 tells your employer how much they're going to take out of your check. So if you owe money this year, you need to decrease your withholdings to make sure they take more out throughout the year so you don't have this huge tax bill come, come January. Um, second thing is keep all your documents organized. So as they come in the mail, please put them up, uh, scan them, put them in, in a folder. Every, and then start incre- every, by the yeah. way, CPA I've ever worked with has said, that's the biggest problem is people bring like this. It used to be a shoebox of stuff, right? And now today it's like a virtual shoebox where people are just sending you <laughs> just, Oh, yeah. I forgot this. Yeah. I forgot this. I forgot this. Yeah. Yeah, and they're, and they're gonna charge you. A lot of people will bill you for that extra time. So if you put it in a neat folder in a neat place for them, it's gonna make their job so much easier. And the last thing is start increasing your retirement contributions over time. So increase it by one percent, two percent, three percent, because then you're investing more money and saving more money at the same time. So that's for employees. Now, self-employed people have drastically more complex taxes, but they have more control as well. So for my self-employed folks, I would encourage you to make your estimated tax payments on time. And Joe, I have a free guide I'm going to give your audience, uh, by the way, to help them with all this stuff. So I'll I'll hint to that at the end. Number two is you want to make sure you're tracking your business expenses. Because Joe, as a self-employed person that you are, you understand that a lot of your 
equipment and things that you use for your business, if you don't um, properly track them, you'd be missing out on thousands of dollars in potential deductions. I myself, then, no, I myself, before you move on, Carter, I myself uh, didn't realize that those first taxes where I owed all that money, I had just uh-huh. become self-employed. I had really bad tax help. And when I found out later, all the things that, that were business, legitimate business expenses, like my mileage mm-hmm. as an example, some home of, office. Yeah. Some of the programs that I was using every day on my computer for business purposes that I just ate, didn't realize any of that stuff. So not only did I have all these penalties because I filed late, a, a lot of that tax, I, I never even owed in the first place. Hey, Joe, I have a saying for you. We, we want to pay the taxes that we owe the IRS, but we don't want to leave a tip. OK, and you left a fat <laughs> tip on the counter where you didn't write out those expenses. OK, and I, and I didn't even get a thank you. <laughs> no, 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 they're not going to thank you. They're not going to thank you. But my last point is to meet with your CPA in Q4. I can't tell you your accountant will work for you for free. If you meet with them in Q4, what I mean by that is they'll save you more money in, in that meeting than they they, they can ever charge you yeah. if you meet with them properly. Yeah, I totally agree. Every year when I was a financial planner, I'd see people call me in January and in February saying, hey, what can we do? I'm like, well, we should have. <laughs> we should have been working together in December. Exactly. Exactly. It's a tough conversation to have, but I think that now that your audience knows, they'll take heed to our our warnings and get on this uh, ahead of time. And again, I have an amazing free guide I want to give to your audience that lays out all this stuff, estimated tax payments, write-offs, deductions, um, filing, and and I think it's going to help them tremendously. So next year, they'll be in way better shape than they are this year. Awesome. (laughs) Give us the link, my friend. They can go to cofieldsconcepts.com yep. and then if they go there, it'll have an email inbox. They put that email in, in there and they'll get the free guide. And I promise you it's going to be worth every uh, second of their time. That's awesome. And by the way, we will have a link in our show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com. And you know what? Uh, let's just create a pretty link from our site too. Okay. Let's, let's do this. Uh, we'll leave this up for like a month. Let's go stackingbenjamins.com forward slash tax guide. So mm. stackybenjamins.com forward slash tax guide will take you right there. So if you're walking the dog, I think that's a hell of a lot easier to remember than us yep. uh, uh, people trying to remember how to, yeah. how, how to how spell, you spell your name, yeah. what your company is, <laughs> all that stuff. Carter, uh, thanks a ton for sharing your great advice with our stackers and uh, better luck next year to your Illini, my friend. Let's get with it, pal. Hopefully we can have a better go around. Thank you for that, Joe. We said this on Tuesday's podcast, OG, that uh, that fourth quarter last year is a great time to do your tax planning. And Carter verified what we said. Of course, he is way smarter than us when it comes to the deep dive on just taxes. Well, and the last time that you want to be thinking about it is the middle of April or the middle of March. And frankly, by the time you get to that stage, there's nothing you can do. Even in January for a lot of the stuff. Well, of course. I mean, some of the things you can backdate a little bit, you know, IRA contributions or whatever, but you don't want to be scrambling. You know, you want to use this year to be planning for this this year, not not next year planning for this year. You know, that's uh, that's a little little more difficult. And and you do lose some eligibility and some, you know, you were talking about retirement plans on Tuesday. And I was thinking there's some retirement plans that you have to decide on by October 1st. You know, you can't even wait until November or December of that year to put them in place. You know, you have to have had have had that decision already. So 
once you get to March or April and you're doing your taxes, all you're doing is filling in information at that point. You know, now is the time later part of this summer into the fall is when you want to start doing your planning for this year. So you can, you know, if you've got some opportunity to take advantage of some, you know, new rules or tax breaks that are afforded you or bracket issues, you know, where you're trying to like optimize a bracket, you can do all that when you've got a quarter to go. I always find that when I do my planning early for the following year, two things happen. I don't know about for you, OG. But the first one is I try not to do it because I think, well, I'm just trying to end this year strong. I just really want to end this year strong. So I don't really need to plan for next year. Mm -hmm. But when I do plan for the following year, not only do I come out of the gate the following year, just kicking and knowing exactly where I'm headed, but I also still finish the year strong because I'm so excited about where we're headed early next year that it brings it in for a nice landing. So doing that planning early for 2022 beginning to think about it even now and then setting up your dates for the fall to to dive in on whatever your plans are to make 2022 better is I'm with you it's it's crucial I'm excited that now we are going to feature you because I got to brag OG for a second about our stacker family we have so many people doing so many cool things out in the stacker community and the first thing I think that it takes is a bit of courage especially since well-meaning people around you are usually going to be the first person to doubt whatever it is that you're doing. And there's a good reason for that. It's not that they think that you can't do it or you shouldn't do it or who are you to do this great thing. It's that they don't want to see you get hurt and they don't want to see you fail. And so our first stacker with a fantastic story that we are going to talk to here on my dad's shortwave is our friend Leah. And Leah's been very brave, not just about what she's going to talk about today, which is the amazing start that she had, but also she joined our community and asked some really great questions about things that she didn't know about. And I think that all of us to a certain degree don't want to quote, look stupid. And yet I found that Leah was asking the same questions that we're all asking. I think you and I are very lucky that we've been able to see some of the questions that everyone asks when the doors are closed and they know that it's private. And as you know, OG, everybody's asking the same questions and then we all pretend we already know the answer. Right. So let's say hi to Leah and an amazing story about going to get your goal. And on my dad's shortwave radio, it's my new friend, Leah. How are you, Leah? I'm excellent. Thank you. How are you? Well, I'm, I'm great now that I'm talking to you. It's fun to talk to somebody from our basement community. It's always cool doing these uh, because you get to meet these people kind of in real life. You know, we get to actually talk instead of just typing at each other on the keyboard, which it, on its own, even that's fun. Yes. And I, I'm saying this uh, with complete honesty, finding the podcast and Hanging out in the basement has been one of the best things that's ever happened to me. Uh, stop. No, keep going. No, stop. Keep going. No, stop. Keep going. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you've had, you've had some very unique stuff happen to you, and we talk a lot about fortitude on the show and, and bravery. I wanted to talk to you because your journey is a lot different than a lot of people's journey. You shared with me that your dad wanted you to go one direction with your career and you really had a whole different path in mind 
that it sounds like he wasn't happy with Leia, not to put words in your mouth, but he wasn't happy with because it, it, it so many people don't make money in, in that career? Yes, that's correct. So tell um, me that about that discussion. Did you just go to him one day and say, hey, Dad, uh, here's what I'm going to do? No, I naturally loved painting from the time I was a small child. And it wasn't just a, a discussion that happened one day. It was it unfolded over the course of many years that I would just spend all my free time painting and I was in love with it. As I went through school, I naturally got good grades in both arts and sciences. And my dad wanted me to go to medical school. That was his thing. And I, I also love science and medicine and thought it was interesting. I went to medical school for a semester out of curiosity. But at the end of the day, I knew I had to go to art school or I would regret it for the rest of my life. And so I actually agonized about it for a long time and went back and forth thinking about all the consequences of the dis of each decision and I don't know how I could think this when I was 16 or 17, but I thought when I'm a hundred, I'm going to regret this if I don't go. So I made the decision to go and I got disowned. So complete, wait, 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 going to wait a minute. Let's, let's stop there. You got yeah. com complete, okay. you got completely disowned. Like not, no, I think that's a bad idea, Leah. But okay, it was, nope, I don't talk to you anymore. I'm not paying for any of this. We're not doing it. Yeah, it was financial disowning and uh, communication disowning. And like, like every, it's like, you're no longer, like excommunication. Like when, I, I don't want to make an analogy, but like we're certain religions where you kick people out of the family if they're yeah. not in that religion or whatever. It was like that. Yeah. So. Yeah, like they say on those crime shows, you're dead to me. Yeah, it was like that. Right. And so, so I went to Rhode Island School of Design. I have a master's in painting, and I, I have a lot of work in art history and digital media. And so after that, can I, can, I wound can, up. Well, and actually, before you get to that, Leah, I just need to tell our stacker friends that don't know this, and I'm going to brag about you without even knowing you, that going to the Rhode Island School of Design, just to get in there means you weren't a decent artist. You were a pretty damn good artist because that's it's incredibly competitive to get in i mean it's not a huge school there's so many people that want to go so just the fact that you got in i think should have shown your dad that you've got this huge affinity for this thing right it took until i had work in an exhibit at the national academy museum in new york which is next door to the guggenheim that was i, I don't remember how many years later it took until that point him to say, oh, maybe there's something to it. Wow. But anyway, back to your story. So you paid for the Rhode Island School Design using your own money and student loans. Right. I, I worked extremely hard. So I was surrounded by um, people whose parents had trust funds. And I was working as a waitress and working as a research assistant and working at a call center and doing all kinds of things to pay for as much as my tuition as I, as I could. And then my classmates were talking about, oh, yes, I took some money out of my trust fund to go skiing or whatever. And I didn't even know what a trust fund was because I was so financially illiterate. But anyway, so fast forward to when I graduated from RISD um, with a master's, I 
moved to New York City in my car. All my possessions could fit in my car. I had $2,000 and I had an ungodly amount of student debt and I moved to New York in my car. I had, I, I had no money. I think I had like $2,000. Um, and I went and started my career as a painter. I also didn't have a job lined up. You went to yet, you, you, when I moved there. You went to New York without a job lined up. Yeah. Were, were, were you couch surfing? <laughs> How did you make it those first few months? So, okay, I don't know if your listeners know, if they're not from New York, what a railroad apartment is. But I have a friend, I'm not going to shout her out because I don't know if she wants publicity, but she had a railroad apartment which means there's like a long skinny hallway and there's like a bedroom at one end and a living room at the other end. And that's the whole thing. And so I was sleeping on the floor in the hallway that you walk through in the middle and her cats were walking on top of me while I was sleeping and I'm allergic to cats. Oh no. (laughs) So that's how I started. But I got my first day job at Goldman Sachs. Uh, in the time before they had email and all the executives there didn't know what email was and I did. And so they would say, tell the vice president, blah, 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 blah. And then I'd write it down in, in an email and like send it to, the, to them because they didn't know how to use email. <laughs> like that was my first day job. <laughs> you're, like so, the, you're like the email translator. Yeah, then a year later, they figured it out or whatever. But by then, I had my first job as an assistant professor at State University of New York. And then I had another job as a professor at Sarah Lawrence College. And then from there, it started to snowball into different things. I've worked a lot of very long hours. um, And I've had a lot of like very strange day jobs and also uh, art-related jobs in New York. So we, I could tell you stories about that for, for like yeah. several hours. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We definitely have yeah. to talk about the art world. Cause as, uh, when you and I were going back and forth to schedule this time, I'm fascinated by the world of art. I'm also fascinated by these companies that are now monetizing art for the masses and making it more accessible. And, um, I mean that just that whole world is seems so opaque, but when did you get your money turnaround, Leia? When, at what point, did you go from the railroad apartment with a cat uh, climbing over you to, I think I'm going to be okay. And then when did your, how did your financial literacy journey then begin? Well, it's hard to give an objective assessment of that because I, I have like very high standards of myself, but I also have like a, a different things that I value that might be different than other people. But I, if I had to say, if I have to think about it, honestly, I have like actual financial stability might've happened like five or six years ago. Okay. So I had this amazing career and I successfully paid for the rent on two places and I successfully paid down my student debt and everything like that the whole time. I just had such bad financial literacy and not a lot of savings during that time because it's one of the hardest careers. So that's sure. not something I sure. beat myself up about, but I was completely self-taught for financial literacy. So I spent, I wasted a lot of time in rabbit holes 
like I would buy books by famous people and I, I don't want to trash talk any famous people, but for example, the person who says, just don't buy any lattes. So I, I, I didn't buy any lattes or go out to any restaurants or anything for like 20 years or something. And then at the end of it, I was like, darn, I'm still not a millionaire. <laughs> so I, I was just like reading, the, just reading really bad. Like, like your show is that the first show where I got advice that I actually don't. Work. Don't <laughs> don't 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 accuse us of teaching anything, Leah. You gotta back. You're gonna wreck right. our reputation. Right, right. I, I have to say what I need to say to survive and get my free T-shirt. So <laughs> I'm just doing what I need to survive. <laughs> yeah, and your ten bucks is in the mail, sister. Well, th- thanks for coming on and sharing that story because so many people go the the easy route and you clearly have not taken the the road more traveled you've taken the road less traveled and just to just to see you on your journey now in a career that you clearly love i think is it's uh very exciting i think for a lot of us watching so thanks for hanging out and sharing a little bit of your story and let's get back together again and talk art okay and yeah can i just add one more thing no we're done heck yeah i'm kidding oh, go, okay go <laughs> okay <laughs> Yeah, no. So it just—I just want to be transparent. Um, I have a healthy, healthy emergency savings and investments and everything. I'm not wildly financially independent or anything like that. But I wanted to just for your listeners to think about when you have the freedom to pursue, even if you don't even succeed, just the choice of pursuing something that you really care about or you really love that's like a type of wealth all by itself. And I don't know if that's going to be true for me in the future, but in the past, that's like a richness of experience that was more valuable than the amount of money that I had in the bank. And that was true, whether succeeding or failing, just to be pursuing the things that you're really interested and you find really important. And it's, it's a type of wealth that you can only take that for yourself but you can't count on other people to provide that for you. It makes me even more happy talking to Leah that not only did uh, mom not disown us when we told her we were going to start podcasting, but she let us do it in the basement. That is fantastic. What a, what a great story that is OG about knowing what you want and going to get it even if you know that it's difficult. How many times have you talked to people where they settled on the thing they thought was going to make money versus the thing that they really wanted to do? You're talking about like kind of not giving up on stuff. I was thinking about uh, there's, you know, some stuff that I do as a hobby and I was spending some time focusing on it over the last couple of weeks. There's limited opportunities as you get older and as you try to get more advanced and so on and so forth. Anyways, one of the presenters at this organization was like, yeah, sometimes you're just going to have to be happy where you are. And uh, talking to a room full of people that are all trying to do better in this uh, organization. And so then the next guy gets up and goes, yeah, sometimes you have to be happy where you are, but also don't give up on, like, don't let somebody else like kind of capitalize or, or cap out your dream, basically. If you think you want to do this, but do it better, then go do it better. Uh, that's kind of what I heard from Leah. It is so, so powerful. The idea of resilience. We spoke to Harma Hartuni this last quarter 
about resilience and um, so many of the great people we've profiled over the last several years are stories of not giving up. So absolutely love that. And also I'll add, knowing just a little bit about technology might score you a job. I need somebody to email my emails to me. All right, we've got two more for you to come, but I think, oh, gee, it's time for you and I to go get a little drink. We got Doug waiting in the wings with some trivia. So everybody put your thinking cap on because here comes Doug. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, you know, and in honor of this potpourri episode, it's only fitting that looking at this horrible holiday calendar, we celebrate the true potpourri of absolutely crappy holidays that's all happened to occur on today's date. I mean, seriously, folks, they're bad. Like, for example, today is International Hummus Day. So here's a question. What's the difference between international and just national hummus day? Is there some holiday committee that gets together and they all agree that the love of hummus can cross international borders? I mean, come on. Too bad for National Fruit Cocktail Day. This one didn't make it up to the international committee, apparently. Might have been the peaches. I mean, those things are just they're slimy. And ugh, God. Anyway, I think you've had enough fruit cocktails for now. So let's get to today's trivia question. There was something interesting that happened on today's date in history. The first Formula One Grand Prix race was held on this date back in 1950. Well, let's ask you this one then. What auto manufacturer has dominated the Grand Prix circuit the past seven years? I'll be back with your answer faster than you can say Start your engines. And now a word from our sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Well, don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Betterment's the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Their automated technology is built to help maximize returns, meaning when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal, rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line, and your dividends are automatically reinvested. That can increase the potential for compound returns. In other words... Your money's breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money in the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing. But they can also be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. Oh, God. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right. U.S. Cellular, a company that sells phones, wants us to put down our phones and to see what we find. Learn more at uscellular.com slash built for us. Hey, stackers. Uh, it's to, uh, uh, I got to be honest. Flipping through this calendar, there's there actually is, huh? There is a holiday here that has some promise. Today is, wait for it, National Frog Jumping Day. So during the break, I had time to call Frank's Exotic Pets and Creatures to get me a few frogs in celebration. Don't worry, the podcast's gonna pay me back. Just don't tell Joe. 
not just yet. Anyway, but Frank, he's bringing over some beauties. I mean, they, these things are, they're like horses. A red-eyed tree frog, an Amazon milk frog, a, a tomato frog, and I even snuck in a toad in there, but I don't think anybody's going to notice. So now I've only got to get these little guys to cooperate so I can jump them. This might be a little bit more than I signed up for, but before I get back to it, let's get you a well-deserved trivia answer. The question was, what auto manufacturer has dominated the Grand Prix circuit the last seven years? Well, with revenues over a billion dollars, Formula One is big money. Since the first winner was crowned in 1950, Ferrari has been the manufacturer of 15 winners, and McLaren is in second on the list with 12 winners. But the current champ is catching up quickly as they have won every year since 2014 and are in third all-time with nine championships under the belt. So who is it? You're asking me, who's the manufacturer, Doug? Just tell me already. I mean, I've been listening to all of this. Okay, fine, I'll tell you. If you said Mercedes, well, fasten your seatbelt, racer, because you are correct. All right, I got to go rustle up some frogs and then teach them to line up for me. Frog jumping sounds fun, right? See you. Let's keep the ball rolling on our potpourri episode. Let's go from 30,000 feet and overall strategy and resilience down to a tactic that we all talk about. And our friend Larry shared something that he did, OG. He paid off his mortgage early. I know a lot of us wonder about this. How did he do it? What strategy did he have? Did he lop a bunch of money on it? Did he get a windfall? Did he uh, pay off a lot at once? How did this change everything? Did everything change for him? How did he feel about it? Well, guess what? We're going to ask him. Let's talk to Larry about paying off his mortgage early. And I'm my dad, Shortwave. It's my new friend, Stacker Larry. How are you, man? I'm great, man. How are you? I'm, I'm, I'm fantastic. I, I want to start off with this. I am a big fan of what you do. And you and I, I've, I've been geeking out about your job <laughs> with you. Uh, do you mind telling everybody what you do? Sure. I'm a locomotive engineer for uh, for railroad. It's so funny. When I was a kid, I thought that all engineers were locomotive engineers. And had I known there was a different type of engineer, I probably would have been <laughs> the other type. But driving a train, have you driven all over the United States, Larry, or just uh, just a few different places? No. So when you, you become uh, an engineer, you get qualified. So I, I started as a switchman, became a conductor, and then got promoted to an engineer you generally work over a territory. So my territory was Chicago to Fort Wayne, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Gotcha. And how do you feel being in the industry about high-speed rail? Obviously, I think there's a need for it. Um, we saw kind of during like when 9-11 happened, there was a whole bunch of uh, issues with, with flight, but the trains were still running. So that was one of the good things about uh, train infrastructure. So I think it's a good deal. Um, I I think uh, getting from point A to point B faster is uh, obviously in everybody's best interest there. Yeah, I'm looking at taking the Amtrak to Dallas uh, sometimes. And what's a two and a half hour car ride takes like five and a half hours. On, on Amtrak. <laughs> now, the good yeah. news is somebody else is doing the driving. So so I might do it anyway. But anyway, that's not why I wanted to have you on, even though I think it's a, right. <laughs> it's, it, it, it's a it's a great job. And I could talk about what you do all day and about trains all day. But you paid off your house. Congratulations, first of all, on making the payoff. How early did you pay it off, Larry? So 
I'll start you from the beginning here. Okay, we went, good. Uh, I was t- 20 years old, uh, 1992. I bought the house, um, starter house, uh, you know, five-year starter house. Um, turns out, uh, here I am, <laughs> you know, 28 years later, we're still here. Uh, but we bought the house, $98,000. We were at 8.75 interest, you know, back in 92. I did a refi, like a cash out refi, like 2010. And we went down to 4.875, but I kicked it out another, you know, to another 30 year loan with the idea that I was going to pay more extra on the payments and everything. Okay. Um, I have two, two young children at the time. And so one thing leads to another. And then here, here we are. And I'm like, man, we, we really got to do something about this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so, yeah. So how old are the kids now? Uh, my daughter is 24 and my son is 22. Okay. So you're so right. Speaking of engineers, that was, that was one thing. Uh, so my, my son, he, he just graduated college as a mechanical engineer. So he, all these, all his friends at school, you know, say, Oh, my dad's an engineer. My dad's an engineer. So he gets to say that too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I'm just a little bit ahead of you. So basically it sounds like you got the kids through school, uh, mostly, and then set your sights on the house, I would guess, or were you paying extra all the time? So I was paying extra during that period, but it was not a whole ton extra. And so, you know, as the, the market started to drop, we went into a consolidation loan and I, and I refied again. And the, the refi process, I mean, it's no one wants to give you a straight answer about closing costs until they get your social security number to run your credit. And, you know, then you've got you locked in and all that stuff. But working our way through that, we uh, were able to consolidate the house and some loans and everything like that. And we just went at it and tagged it. We were at 2.5% interest. Wow. Um, and just started doubling up and get crazy after. Now, 2.5, did you pay any points to get that? Or or did you just get it when it was at rock bottom? It was at 2.5. I think it was 0.375 points. I think that's what we paid. Yeah, okay. Wow, so that's cool. So tell me about the, the, the idea of paying it off early. Because did you ever think... Instead of paying off the house early, you and I hear all the time this stuff, Larry, about, you know, do I pay off the house early or do I invest it? Did you walk through any of those numbers or was just the house the priority? Yeah, it was one of those things where it's, it's like I, I, I have a 401k at work that, you know, I steadily contribute to. And I started that early as well, you know, right, right when they offered it at work. Um, I think I was like 20, 24 years old or something. So oh, well. I've been a steady contributor to that, have a couple IRAs. Um, so I felt like we were in a, at least in a good position there and just that, that whole thing of, you know, having that over your head. Yeah. Agreed. But did you ever think about investing it instead? Not really. I mean, there wasn't any conscious thought in trying to do that. Um, now maybe, you know, after looking at or listening to your show, listening to a bunch of different podcasts that, that I've just recently started doing, I'm like, man, I may would have, I would have made different decisions, but it's one of those things, you know, you just don't know. Yeah. Now I don't know that I'd make a different decision either. I mean, you know, the math works out where investing it is mathematically better, but the second piece, you can't duplicate where you are now, which, I mean, how does it feel not having that payment every month hanging over your head? You know, it does give you a little freedom and now you can pour money into your future ideas and maybe, you know, have a second house down the road and um, start saving up for, uh, well, helping the kids pay off maybe the college loans and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Forget the kids, man. Just go spend that money. Vegas, here we come, right? That's right. That's right. That's what I think. Well, that's cool. So tell me about paying extra. Did you make just so consistent? It was a 15-year loan and yep. uh, just working it out. The actual amount that we, we borrowed, our, our payment wasn't wasn't that much. So we ended up paying almost double what that was. Um, and that accelerated that quickly. Gotcha. So you were doing it just like clockwork, like every payment making almost a double payment. 
and I made it automatic. So it automatically comes out of the checking account you know, every month. Ah, automatically bigger than what they were asking for. Right. Absolutely. Oh, that's cool. So you didn't have to think about it. Like you just automatically paid the house off early. Yeah. It just automatically comes on direct deposit and it automatically disappears. So. <laughs> yeah. 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 Gotcha. Man, that, that is so cool. I know that the feeling of freedom that you must have to be able to do whatever the heck you want to do with not having that over your head. I think that's great. Now that you have that stream of income though, that isn't going to the mortgage, are you now then doubling up on other investments or is that money just going into savings? Like, tell me about what the next step might be for Larry and company. So, yeah, so this was just uh, recently. I mean, we just, we haven't had a whole bunch of paychecks hitting that we don't have earmarked for stuff. Right. But yeah, so there's the odds and ends. There's obviously household improvements that we'd like to get done. And then again, down the road, looking at a vacation home or a second property, um, I get to retire in 10 years. So that's always, you know, on the horizon. Yeah. Yeah. Well, congratulations on all that. And thanks for taking a second and, and, uh, sharing that your good news with other stackers. That's so awesome. And, and, and also for talking to us about trains. I really appreciate the time. Oh, sure. Thanks, Joe. Hey, when I'm not running trains, I'm stacking Benjamin. I can't say it enough times. Larry's got the world's coolest job. Do you think he's the guy that uh, where the big signs say quiet residential area at 415? He's like residential my ass. <laughs> the guy right behind your neighborhood you're talking about? You're like, dude, there's nobody crossing the intersection at 415. Yeah. Congratulations to Larry. And, you know, this strategy shows automation wins the day again, OG. Is this another resilience story? Is this a common theme? Like, well, the, you but, just have to keep doing it, even if it doesn't seem like it's making any progress whatsoever. You have to keep doing it. But this is even cooler. This is, this is kind of what David Bach said when he was on the show. And I know it's funny that Leah said that she didn't get much from, she didn't name David Bach, but she, she certainly said the guy with the lattes, right? Mm-hmm. So for people that don't know, that's David Bach. But yet what David Bach says is to automate your money and not think about it. I remember asking him specifically, so do we need to think about our money more? He goes, no, we want to think about it less. We want to do what Larry did and just set up a system where we don't have to think about it. And we get ahead automatically. Yeah. And that's where, yep. you know, the title of his book, Automatic Millionaire comes from. Well, just think about it. So less chances for you to screw stuff up, less chances for you to have that wrong thing happen or pick the wrong stock or get involved in a FOMO scheme of some kind. You know, it's just, if it's just automatic, it's automatic. Speaking of FOMO, where do you think he would be right now if he'd instead invested that money? Automatically put it in a brokerage account, a mutual fund, something like that. I think he'd be less happy probably. Obviously having a paid for home was an important milestone. You know what I mean? Like that box you can check off because you could have saved the money, which is maybe what you're talking about, save it, invest it and had more money. But then you've got a, now you've got another problem. Now you've got a big bucket of money. Do you want that big bucket of money to go away? I've never known anybody to accumulate. So this is what you and I talk about this 15, 30 year thing and save the difference. I've never known anybody to accumulate the 180,000 that's left on their house and paid off in one fell swoop. I've known people that have paid the last 20 grand off the last 50, 
you know, that sort of thing, like through savings or I got this bonus and I, with all these things put together, I can kind of make one last payment and knock this off. But I've never known anybody to go, I'm going to save and invest for 15 years. And then in the 15th year, I'm going to take this 280,000 that I've accumulated and pay off my house. If you look at it from a math standpoint, of course it makes sense. Invest your money at 8%, pay your mortgage at two and a half percent. Who wouldn't do that? That's the smart thing to do, air quote smart. But every time you do that, you involve other decisions that have to be made correctly along the way. Like, which investments are you going to pick? And when do you rebalance it? And what happens if something goes wrong in your life and you want to take some money out or whatever? You know, so if it's important for you to pay the house off, I like this way. Put a little bit on it, put a little bit more, put a little bit more, put a little bit more. Just like you're going to save and invest in your 401k by adding 1% every year. Do the same thing with your mortgage. Super, super, well, super strategy. Just do both. Just do both. Everybody wonders, do you need a special strategy? If I get maybe one more strategy, if I have that little magic thing that I didn't know about, Larry didn't do anything amazing, special, wow, except he actually saved the money. Didn't stop doing it. That's it. It is quite amazing. And, and you can look, look back, if you're somebody who's track things, or even if you don't track it, look at your 401k balance 10 years ago. Just go, you know, if, it's, if you've worked for the same company, just pull up the statement. You know, just go online and look it up. And look at the impact of just putting your 5% in and getting the company match, or your 10%, or maxing it out. You know, look at the impact of a year ago staying the course in March when everything was down and you went, now I'm just going to keep putting my money in. Just look at your account balance on March 23rd of last year and look at it today. That's, That's the impact of not necessarily even doing the right thing, just doing a thing nonstop. So powerful. Absolutely, absolutely powerful. And you can be 90% right with your direction and you're still going to make it there versus the person that knows 100% of what to do and never does a thing. All right. David had uh, something that he wanted to get our take on. He said there was a great market watch story recently. Opinion, if you sell a may don't go away, please consider featuring it as a topic of conversation. It talks about a great market timing strategy of selling a may first and then buying back in over the summer based on statistically significant market drops. Should this strategy be given due consideration for those who want to live a little rather than stick to a ho-hum investment policy statement? Thanks for that question. This piece we'll have in our show notes, but it's by Brett Aarons. And we've talked about Brett Aarons' opinions of the past. Often he's going to stir the pot, OG. But here's what he says. The Wall Street phrase, sell in May, dates back to at least the 1930s. And what it talks about is the hiatus from May 1st to October 31st, a full six months where the stock market's usually so dismal that it seems like there's no point in being there. Brett says, it sounds like superstitious nonsense, but there's some remarkable evidence for it. One exhaustive academic study looked at the available stock market data from around the world going as far back as 1693. In none of the 65 countries for which we have total returns and short-term interest rates available, with the exception of Mauritius, can we reject a sell in May effect, report researchers Cherry Zhang and Ben Jacobson. 
summer risk premiums are not only not significantly positive, they are in most cases not even marginally positive. In 45 countries, the excess returns during summer have been negative, and in seven, significantly so, they write. In other words, historically, all the stock market's returns have come during the winter months. During the summer months, typically, the stock market returns haven't been any better than the returns on keeping your money in the bank. So both Brent and David's question, OG, sell in May, look for the market to drop at some point. If it's a non-qualified account, maybe 30 days later, so you avoid the wash sale rule. What do you think? Uh, I think that it's uh, playing with fire. I mean, anytime you try to have a market timing strategy, but it's statistically significant, you have to be right both sides. You have to assume that that it's going to A, persist, that that thing that you just read about is going to continue into the future, and B... It, you're not going to be on the wrong side of it. The last three years, looking at that summer time period, the stock market's up 2.5%, 10.5%, and 17% over the summer. So how many times do you have to have a crappy summer to erase a 30% market gain? You know, if you have a million dollars, that's $300,000. It's just not worth trying to figure out the exact optimal time to buy in. And frankly, you can do this with any sort of market timing strategy. There's, there's people who say and p- somehow prove in their own minds that January is the best time for small companies. So does that mean I should get all my money out of large companies at the end of December, pile it all in in small companies in January and get out at, at uh, Valentine's Day every year? Why don't you do that? Any market timing strategy, anything that involves going back in time and cherry picking data is always going to be right. The question is whether or not it's going to be right in the future. Also, whatever you do, I think, uh, David, you want to do systematically. So if you were going to do something like that and you joke about somebody wants to live a little instead of having an investment policy statement, it would still be a piece of your policy. What are the conditions are when you take it out? What are the conditions are when you put it back in? So if you were, if even if you were considering it, which I know the OG is not, but even if you were, I don't think that it would, uh, it would get rid of doing it according to investment policy. And the reason is this, is that um, uh, I've been talking to a uh, trading academy just that teaches people how to be not investors, but traders, right? The technical analysis traders. I sat in on one of their meetings a couple of weeks ago, and it was fascinating to hear the instructor in this academy talk about how you can do, and this is what they do in their academy, they start off people, OG, with these trades that have no money behind them, just so you know how to push the buttons and what to do. And people will often do very well. And then they fund their account and they start trading with real money. And you already know where this is going. Immediately, things mess up because emotion gets in the way of any of these strategies. When you have real money on the table, you act differently than you do in a what if scenario that we're talking about right here. So just for giggles while you've been talking, I haven't been paying attention, but um, I've just kept on going back in time and putting data in. So now I'm back to 2014. So starting in 2014, 10% return, then an even return for 15, then five, then 10, then two and a half, then 10, then 17 over the summertime. So you're one, two, three, four, five, six, seven years that were positive or even money 
in a row. Well, maybe that just proves the point. Maybe that means the next seven years are going to be crappy during the summer. I don't know. But could you imagine if every summer, and, and what you said, I think, is really the important piece. If you're going to find a system, you have to do it every single solitary time. You only win on a trading system if you do it all the time. You, you don't get to make your own rules later. You don't get to say like, well, I know, but the spring was so crappy, so I'm going to stay invested this summer. That, no, no, that's not the system. The system is you're out on, on the Tuesday after Memorial Day or the Friday before. You're not back until October 31st. Tough patooties, you know? It's like, but I want to be in. Sorry, your system doesn't allow it. They were teaching people a short-term trade. Uh, they placed the trade and they put a stop loss below it and they put a cap on the top, right? So once again, we're not talking about investing here. We're talking about teaching people to be short-term traders. And immediately the trade was in the green. And one of the students in the academy said, hey, once it gets into the green, why don't we move our stop? And the instructor said, you never move your stop. You have a strategy and you stick with it and you don't move it. Because now the second you move it, it's an emotional decision, right? You move it because, hey, emotionally, then I can make it. He said, so we're going to do it. And they were doing this, by the way, with the live trade. The instructor moved up the stop. And you know what happened immediately because of the jiggle. I know that's what they call it in the, the academy, the jiggle of the price. The just, waggle. Yes, going up and down on a minute-by-minute minute basis. Immediately, the trade stopped out, meaning it hit that stop on the bottom and it sold. And 15 minutes later, it hit the high that would have been what it hit. And instead of a $200 gain, they had a $25 gain. Okay. I kept going because I was just curious. So now I'm back to 2010. The only negative year is 2011 minus 7%. Every other year is, you know, 2010 is plus 13, 2012 is plus six, 2013 is plus 12. I already read the other one. So you got, you got 10 years worth of data. One of the years was negative and somehow you want to be out of the market. No way. There's the phrase trust, but verify. If you read something yeah. by a source and you go, yeah, this sounds good. I trust that this sounds good. Verify the data, which is what OG just did. Well, it, I mean, again, oh, since 1694, maybe it's right. <laughs> but but, but I, I just want to know when the stock market's up, you know, 17% in the four months that you're not in, and then the next four months, it's not up 17%. What do you do from an investor standpoint, a behavioral standpoint, like you just said with your stop loss, you screw with it. And then you're going to have actually a worse result in the long run. Thanks for that, David. And we are happy to talk about it. I love, I love, 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 love talking about these things. So I'm so glad that you sent that. And hopefully, hopefully we help somebody with that, that has heard this uh, phrase in the past. Of course, I said it now, and now the market's going to go down in the summer. <laughs> I knew it. I knew I should have been out. Of course it will. Yes. Next up is a woman who did a fantastic job teaching her kids about money, OG, and in what I think is a pretty hilarious way. And we will speak with her about that. But not only did she help her kids, she helped her neighbor kids with their money. So helping the next generation do better with their money, more cool stacker stuff. Let's say hi to Mimi. And I'm super excited for everybody to hear this story. My new friend Mimi is here. How are you? 
Hi, how are you? I'm great. Now that you are here, I'm so glad we got to meet because after reading your post about you with the neighbor kids, which we'll get into here in a second, I just had to talk to you and I was super happy that you agreed. So thanks for, thanks for doing this. Thank you for having me. Well, let's start off with you and, and your kids, because before we hit record, Mimi, your, your 15 year old is reading some of the best books out there. How did you get your son interested in reading? By paying him. <laughs> I am. <laughs> I figure the more he knows, the less I have to worry about him when he's 30 and 40 and 50s, right? I absolutely. I feel like it's an investment, like you're planting money seeds and then he'll take care of mom later. So I did tell him that we want to travel around the world when, when we're a little bit older. So we just need a place to pop in here and there when we come back to the state. He's like, no, I'm not going to be able to afford the bigger house for you and for you and dad. I was like, it's okay. We'll just stay in your basement. It's not a big deal. Perfect. We stay in my mom's basement. It's great. It's fantastic. Yeah, totally. Yes. It, it all worked out for the best, right? Absolutely. So what books did you have your son read so far? What has he read? I will teach you how to be a millionaire and then a simplest path to wealth. Yeah. Simple path to wealth. Yeah. So Ramit Sadie, I think it's, I'll teach you to be rich. Uh, I'm so sorry. That's yeah. that's, I'll, that's, I'll teach you how to be rich. That's fine. It's but a it's, very catchy uh, title. Yes. And it's funny you say that because that was my son's first book that he read and he loved it. What did your son think? It was absolutely funny. I actually gave that book away to many college graduates. And they all opened a Roth IRA and making contribution to their 401k because they read the book. Because it remains it's really fun. Yeah, totally. Totally. I, have, I think I gave that away to like four or five college graduates. That is. And they all making contributions right now. That's super cool. I have to tell you, I, I think it's the. I don't know if it's the amount of uh, bravado that Ramit has in this that book, but it's just so fun, and I find that high schoolers really take to it. So that's great. What does he think about? Yeah. What does he think about uh, the simple path to wealth? How's he liking that one? I still haven't paid him yet, so he means he's not done with reading the book. <laughs> <laughs> he's gonna, he's gonna wait till mom pays up. Well, well, oh yeah, totally. Well, I wanted to talk to you about something else though. So you get your kids interested in saving. But the reason I want to talk to you is you got the neighbor kids interested in saving. Tell me how that happened. I mean, I was just talking to, you know, neighbor's kid is 18, 17 going down to be 18. And I was just telling him, hey, you know, I started making retirement investments since the age of 21, 22. So my husband didn't start until he was 28. And I only need to make less than half of the investments that my husband does to meet the same goal at the very end. So starting early is the magic and the compound of interest is fantastic. It's amazing. That is fantastic. And so did he already have some savings uh, set aside? He did. He actually had a couple thousand dollars uh, in the savings. And then we did talk about interest rates. We talk about compound of interest. We talk about stocks, of course. So he was really into buying stocks. And I did tell him that when you have, when you make that contribution to the Roth IRA, and the earnings that you gain from playing, you know, with the crazy Teslas and airline stocks that he's purchasing, you don't have to pay for capital gains. He immediately took off and he went on and he convinced like four or five of his other friends to make open the Roth IRA. We're making a difference here, Joe. That is so awesome. You're doing great work, Mimi. 
it reminds me of, we had a guest on the show a few years ago, a guy named Gene Natale from uh, Pittsburgh. He might, uh-huh. be li- he might be listening to this and he goes to high schools and he talks to high schoolers all the time. And he tells them that when he tells them exactly what you told them, the magic of compounding interest and starting early and the fact that inside the Roth, it's a tax shelter. He said, so many of these kids go open one. And it's funny because we, yeah. th- because we think we have to be rate kids into savings and we have to, um, uh, you know, when people are older, a lot of times it's a struggle to save, but he said that when somebody's 17 years old, they want to put money away. Like it's exciting for them. Yeah, they do have that spark in the eyes. He actually called me up two weeks later. He's like, you know, Miss Mimi, I am going to become a financial planner. This is what I'm going to do for my life. I am making a difference in people's life. I am so enjoying this. That's I was awesome. like, well, yeah, it's a long path to get there. It is a long path, but what, yeah. a, what a great start. That's cool. So uh, have you talked to his mom about it or his dad about it? I did. Actually, I asked his parents if it was okay for me to talk about financial planning with him before I start. Because, you know, everyone has a different different beliefs and everyone has a different styles of getting to their ideals of retirement. Right. I just wanted to make sure his parents are okay with whatever it is I'm telling him. How did they respond? They said, yeah, sure. Go ahead. So they were, he was my guinea pig. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're going to convert the whole neighborhood, baby. That's That's awesome. Well, thanks for sharing the story. I appreciate it. I love people that uh, are evangelizing the good word of, of, of getting more money saved. And now we're going to have a budding financial planner living right next door to you. How great is that? Hopefully it gives you a discount. Totally awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking forward to, uh, to see him when I'm in my 50 and 60, when I'm traveling around the world. So I don't have to worry about all of this, right? Well, thanks so much. And hopefully he could get my son on the right path too. Absolutely. Well, it'll be cool because I think peer pressure is even better than paying him money to read a book. So totally, totally. Thank you. I love that. OG, just helping everybody. I also love the fact that she got mom and dad's permission first, right? Not overbearing neighbor. People helping people. Yeah. Yeah. Let's make the, make the whole neighborhood better. And also, you know, a lot of times we'll have, We'll have segments of the show where we talk about kids and money. Mimi proves that it doesn't have to be about your kids and you don't just need to hit the fast forward button. There's a community of people out there that live next to you, live around you. And if we can help uh, the people around us do better with their money and help the next generation, how much does that help us? Well, that's going to do it for today. A lot of great stacker stuff. Thank you so much to Mimi, to Larry, to Leah, and to David for writing in fantastic. We're going to do these in the future. We always have show and tell time in the basement. So if you have a story about something you're doing, that's pretty cool. Either write to me, Joe at stackybedjamins.com or even better yet, just share it with our stacker family. We really like, we really like sharing each other's wins. And on Fridays, we also share how we're all messing up too, which I think is an even funnier post where everyone shares how they messed up their money that week. And that's in our Facebook group. The best way to find it is either put Stacking Benjamin's Basement in the search engine at Facebook or just go to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash basement and you'll find it that way. That's going to do it for today. Last but not least, if you or your family want to make better financial decisions next year, and we talked about planning, how important it is to plan for the next year early, 
you want better financial decisions at the rest of 2021, 2022 and beyond. Well, OG and his team of financial planners are taking clients. So to get to them, head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash OG. You'll find a link to their calendar and a meeting to talk about what it is you're worried about with your money, how you think about your money and how you could do better. All right. That's going to do it for today. Doug, you got it from here, my friend. What should we have learned today? So what should we have learned today? First, take a lesson from our headline. You don't have to recreate the wheel. You now have the ability to glean experience for masters like Warren Buffett. Study greatness and surround yourself with great people. That's a step in the right direction. Second, how about those stackers, huh? Leah, Larry, and Mimi are all an inspiration. What are you doing to make your money better? I hope you're making a list. Maybe we'll profile your story in an upcoming episode. But the big lesson... Like it turns out, okay, even though it's National Frog Jumping Day, frogs aren't super cooperative. These guys will not sit still. Why don't we just celebrate International Frog Legs Day? Don't, don't, don't look at me like that, tomato frog. I never think about eating you, you know, grilled with some seasoned salt and maybe a little basting of it. If I, I, would, I would never do that. Don't worry, tomato frog. I wouldn't do it that you know of. To learn more about our guests and for more resources, you can head to our show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com. Thanks to Carter Cofield from Cofield's Concepts for joining us. Looking for resources for your taxes? Head to our show notes page and download Carter's Tax Guide. This show is created by Joe Saul Cihai, produced by Karen Rapine, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at S. Benjamin's Cast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and there's a 73% chance that I played Chuck on Happy Days. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remunerations. That's a big word. There's no way you take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only. And before making any financial decisions, consult with a real financial advisor. Welcome to the after show. This is the part of the show that doesn't exist. And with all that talk about some of the old Ameritrade commercials and some of the old funny commercials, OG, that got you started. And you've been on a tear now going down memory lane with all these financial companies. It's fun watching the old videos. (laughs) You sent me three of them. (laughs) Like, look at this one. No, how about this one?
How about this one? But I think this one takes the cake. This is a, uh, this is an Ameritrade commercial. This commercial, when you hear the noise, that's the noise of a copier. And it shows an employee who's not very well dressed for an office environment, who is, uh, has his head in the copier and he's uh, photocopying his head and his boss comes up to him. Stuart, can I see you in my office, please? That kid is sick. That hinge is squeaking. Very sick. Stuart, get in here. Sure thing, Mr. Pink. Stuart, I just opened my Ameritrade account. Let's light this candle. Let's go to Ameritrade.com. It's easier than falling in love. What do you feel like buying today, Mr. P? Kmart. So research it. All this stuff is provided for you free of charge. No cost. Yeah, that's synonymous with free. Looks like a good stock. Let's buy. Let's buy 100 shares. All right, click it in there. Okay. How about 500? 100, Stuart. You feel the excitement? You're about to buy a stock okay. online. Oh! Fabulous. I'm thrilled. What did that cost me? $8, my man. Mike Broker charges me $200. You're riding the wave of the future, my man. <laughs> I gotta Listen, get a soda. All right. I'm sorry, Mr. Pig. I'm having a party on Saturday night if you really want to go. I'm going to try and get there. Happy Thank you, trading. Stuart. Thank you. Rock on. All right, Stuart. Ameritrade, believe in yourself. All right, Stuart. Hey, so there's all kinds of research. How much of that research said uh, Kmart's a crappy company? It's going to go bankrupt. Twice. And, and then we're going we're gonna to just rename it Sears. Yeah. Well, that's, that's after the first time. We're going to rename it Sears, and it's a pile of that that uh, sad, sad, sad story. Didn't the young dude tell him to trade sound like a lot of the stuff today? Come on, man. 100, 500. Do you think we're going to be sitting around here 20 years from now? Remember the Dogecoin thing? Everybody's daring people to buy more. Or are we going to be going, do you remember the idiots that didn't think Dogecoin was the real deal? And now we all use Remember it to buy. We used to have real dollars, but now they're all like these coins with a dog on doges. Them. Yeah. Kmart. Blast from the past there. What could possibly have gone wrong? Well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother in law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans. And all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.